Hello and welcome back to episode 55 of Game Store Profits, the podcast where geeks talk about the games that we play and the god that we serve. Uh, my name is Mike Perna, however, this is normally where you'd already be hearing a man named Luke Navarro talk, but Luke is currently, at the time of this recording, enjoying Disneyland with his family. And... We are all jealous of him, but while he's going to be sitting on rides, I have in invited my friend Chris North. He's been part of the, the podcast before. Uh, Chris, welcome. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you having me back. I love doing these, so... Uh, yeah, yeah we've fun. had you back a couple times. I think we can officially give you the title of, like, friend of the podcast. Nice. Because we've had you on nice. a couple times. I think this is my, th my third or fourth... Co yeah, there was, one time, there was one time I had you on before, just you. Then you were on the episode where it was... You, With, me, uh, and my wife. Yeah, that was that one. So, uh... Yeah. Yeah. Getting around. Getting around game store profits. <laughs> so, what what have you been up to lately? Because I, I know for the fact, because I keep getting texts about the new games that you've <laughs> added to your collection, because I've totally made you an addict now. Oh, man, yeah. I mean, I, I thought I liked games before, but then, you know, you've just kind of expanded that whole world. Well, I, I, uh, I, I purchased my own copy of Evil Baby Orphanage. Did you? Which is just... <laughs> Has so much brilliance behind it. It's I've so been, fun. I've been trying to convince Luke that this is a valuable game and worth it, playing, but it, he has, he doesn't get it. It's a fascinating game, and you learn a bit of history. There are people that I didn't know kind of what they did, and so you know I'm looking them up and reading. Them, I'm like, oh wow, they really are an evil. Wow, that's a bad guy. There is one that I'm curious about, and it's because of the fact that that not only is it entertaining, but we actually ended up hitting Wikipedia while we played the first game. Because one of the people in there is little baby Rutherford B. Hayes. Yeah, I and normally, about that too. normally on the cards, it'll tell you this is what the person did. This is how terrible a person they were. Rutherford B. Hayes, it just has a picture of him, and it says, "Oh, he knows what he did." <laughs> That's the flavor text on that card, and we looked him up. Because, I mean, we all knew he was a president, but he's one of those presidents, the ones that are pretty easy to forget. Yeah. And so we looked him up and we're like, I don't see anything that's that terrible. I feel like Andrew Jackson might have been a better yeah. choice. So, uh, so I don't know. The, the guys I played with it, we all we all sat around wondering, you know, if it was just a red herring thrown in there. Like, <laughs> what just, did let's he just, do? Let's just throw this guy in there. No one knows who he is. So we'll just throw him in there <laughs> just to mess with people. It'll drive everybody crazy trying to figure out what did he do. Right, right. He must have done something to be with Jack the Ripper and Bonnie <laughs> and Clyde. I mean, come on. So... Other than dealing with evil babies and, and, and the time stream, what other... <laughs> um, I also picked up a game, it's it's still in the mail, but it's called Ghost, and it's spelled with like three or four O's, and it's a, it's it's like a, a cutesy horror variant to uh, Uno, you know, instead nice. of instead of your standard Uno cards, you have different ghosts in your haunted house and in your cemetery with different point values and... You have to play cards that beat other ghosts, and then there's like some specialty cards you throw in. So it's a fairly easy, easy game, but it's one of those fun kind of kind of quick draw games to kind of get people introduced to a new world of, of gaming. Well, you had another game that I was I was fascinated by that you brought out for the the game day was the uh, the labyrinth game. Oh yeah, talk that about was that because I I'd never heard about. Apparently, it's been around for a while. Yeah, it's been around. But I've never the heard 80s. of it. It's it's similar in in essence to um Tsuru. Okay. The uh, the dragon game where it's you're moving tiles, you're moving tiles to get your character to a pathway to collect different treasures. So you have a stack of treasure cards and you flip them one at a time. And, you know, you need the golden ring. And the golden ring, you know, the, the labyrinth pathway continues to move due to yourself and other players. So when you think you have an open path, by the time it gets to your next turn, you're all over the place now. Or the path has changed so much that now you have to rearrange the tiles to get to your path. Because uh, basically what it is is, like, there's one extra tile and, and you, like, push you, the other ones. Right, so you move, like, one column at a time. And it'll it'll change all the paths, but it's... You know, you're replacing that tile and, you know, you want to navigate to get all your treasure cards first. It's very, very simple. You can learn how to play within four seconds. But it really, we played it four times. It was a lot of fun. 
Yeah, I definitely saw a lot of people that were very excited to play, and I saw at least two or three games in a row. Yeah. And any game that you can play two or three in a row and not get tired of it, is that's, a fun game. That's and it, saying something. And it can be quick. If you have it, you know, it's supposed to be for about four to six players, I think. But um, because the board is never the same, mm-hmm. and you're, the treasures you have to collect are never the same, you know, you can play it a couple of times before you want to switch it up. But it can it can be a lot of fun because it gets really competitive. Because like I was there <laughs> and you moved me, I was ready to get it. I could have been a contender. Absolutely. But uh, but yeah. So let I I kind of want you to share a little bit about your experience with the game day because I I'm biased. Wow. Like I told the audience, you know, this is what game day was about, and this is why I think it's important. I'm the guy who put it on. So, as somebody who was attending... Now, granted, you helped me out significantly. I, I like to think of myself as more of a uh, participant. A, yeah. A, 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 a collaborator. A collaborator. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah. So, as a person who was participating in a collaboratory sense... Uh, what what were your thoughts about the game day? Because you've been to both of mine, right? I I was at both of them for the entire length of the time. I mean, the the first one I thought was a huge success. Um, you know, we had people out who had never, um, who I you know at least I had never met, and I know that there was at least one gentleman who was there who didn't know anybody there. Yeah, he just he just kind of showed up because it was on the um, the tabletop day website, map. the big yeah of where there's a game near you. And um, so I thought that was really cool. The second one, although we had um, a few less people attend this time, I thought that it was just as successful as far as most of the people who came came to the last one. So it kind of reestablished some of the meetings and relationships we had built from the first day, mm-hmm. which, you know, to me is is very cool and I think is an important thing. You know, I, I definitely agree with your sentiment that um, relationships built around a board gaming table. Mm-hmm. Um can, can become very lasting relationships. And, uh, you know, meeting those same people and having having the banter and the atmosphere immediately be like we've known each other for years mm. is a huge deal for me. I think that the comfortability um, that you get with board games and card games is is just terrific. You know, you can sit down with five strangers and play Quelf. Oh, jeez. You know, which is I, a game where you have to be willing, for anybody who doesn't know, a game where you have to be willing to embarrass yourself frequently. in really awkward ways sometimes. You know, that, that level of comfortability you wouldn't necessarily find anywhere else. It, it's really easy to break down barriers between people when you have to... Uh, I think there was one time I was playing, I had to put a spoon in somebody else's lap without telling them why I was doing it. So it's it becomes really easy to not have any kind of barriers when the- <laughs> you have to let your inhibitions down. It was oh man, it's it's a lot of fun. You know we're definitely not knocking it. Go buy a copy and play. Yeah, because um, you and I both have copies of Quelf. Great game, and uh, you know it it was fun to introduce people that are so used to um, standard games, which can be fun. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy clue and uno and, Mm -hmm. um, taboo. I like those games, but it's fun when you can introduce people to a a variety of games that they wouldn't normally play or have never heard of like flux or Quelf or elder sign or some of these games. That's like, I had no idea a game like this existed. Well, yeah, that's why you come to these events. I was watching, uh, in, in, especially in light of the fact that next week is Gen Con, um, a lot of the, the, the big people on YouTube and different podcasts and everything who do gaming stuff, who do more like review stuff for gaming, uh, everybody has the number of, of things that get put out there. And when you realize that really over the past, it's, it's probably been maybe 15 or 20 years of real solid games coming out. Mm. Like the like we talk about all these games. Like I have a collection of like forty games. You your collection is getting pretty. It's sub- it's getting there. I I've got probably about half that. I've got about twenty. I'd say. And and then you get guys like Tom Vassell over at the Dice Tower who literally play thousands of games in a year. Yeah. Has a, a standing collection of three hundred. Oh gosh, that's just insane. I I, I dream I drool over. I mean, it's 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 a jealous insanity, but yeah. it's. That's but crazy. when you really look at those games, the vast majority of them have really been coming out 
for the past like 20 years. Mm-hmm. Like when you realize that that Catan, like the the flagship of all things what's now considered Euro gaming. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was like in the mid 90s. Yeah, yeah. And even so, well even once upon a time, the the card game once upon mm-hmm. a time, I when I when I first learned how to play it and got a copy of it, I I kind of imagined it was newer than it actually was. It came out in like 1994. Yeah. I was like, wow, I had no idea that this was almost 20 years old. When yeah, I it's, got al- a copy it's already on its third edition. Yeah, it's, in, it's insane. Although, one game I definitely want to talk about briefly is um, Smash Up. <laughs> I kind of touched on Smash Up. Okay, I haven't... I you, you don't I know... For the, the real short version, if this is your first time listening and you didn't hear last week's episode where I talked about Smash Up... Basically take every geek trope in existence. Pirates, ninjas, zombies, dinosaurs. Steampunks, ghosts, bear cavalry. Which is, I'm not going to lie. Evil robots and Martians and gnomes. I'm not going to lie. The bear cavalry. As as hardcore steampunk as I am, the bear cavalry might be my favorite. (laughs) It was, well... This is, I don't know, steampunk zombies are pretty... They're pretty impressive. They're pretty unbeatable, I gotta, I gotta say. It's basically a game where you, you team up two of these factions, and it's a, it's a, almost like a, it's a point-building game and a deck-building game, and um, it's, it's just, it really is a blast. It's all the elements of, of card games, all the card games you like kind of built into one. Okay, so we, we you know, we've kind of caught everybody up in case they hadn't heard. What are your two, in your experience, we've played, we won't, both of us kind of bought our, our copies of the game around the same time. Yeah. But we've both tried to play a number of yeah. times. Yeah. Um, what so far has been your favorite combination? My most successful combination has been the steampunk zombies. I've, mm. I've definitely had the most success. I really enjoyed... I call it the, sh- the, the bone shaker. Hmm. Because Sherry Priest wrote a book about steampunk zombies huh. called Bone Shaker. I like that. The Bone Shakers. That's that faction's... Uh, that I'm officially dubbing. Couple the title. Nice. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite team-up was the... Um, I think the Martian Ghosts. Were kinda, okay. They were kind of fun to play with. Is that the 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 Martians had some really cool characters and some really cool abilities, and the ghosts allowed you to pull stuff from the discard pile constantly, so that was really helpful. Pulling all the Martians back out to replay them was uh, a terrific advantage. So I really I really enjoyed those two mixing together. I I have to say that for me, I think my favorite one that I've played so far would be Bear Cavalry Pirates. Oh. Because the Bear Cavalry have a lot of, if you move to our spot, we kill you dead. And the Pirates have a lot of, we're going to move you to where we want you. So we can kill you dead. So we can kill you dead. Nice. <laughs> so I had a lot a, of death in this there's game. A whole lot of, I, I had a whole lot of fun. But at the same point, it, it really is, I, the, I think the funniest thing I ever experienced was uh, a mutual friend of ours was playing Pirate Ninjas. And if you know geek stuff... Pirates and ninjas don't go together. Oh, man. And in this game, the same holds true. He discovered really quickly that pirate ninjas are great for ruining other people's day. But they don't really get you much. But but as far as winning, it was really hard for him to actually make progress. But he ruined people's day. <laughs> so he'll make the game take eight hours, but he'll still lose. <laughs> but he'll still end up losing. Needless to say, I don't think he's going to play pirate ninjas ever again. <laughs> Great on their own, not so much together. <laughs> so I do. Uh, you mentioned the fact that uh, you were playing Elder Sign. How I, I didn't get to play Elder Sign this year, this this go around. Last time I got to play a round of Elder Sign. It was uh, it was interesting playing with. Uh, I was kind of the game leader for that. <clears throat> it was interesting playing with people that had never played before and were not necessarily familiar. For anybody who doesn't know. Elder Sign, it's a co-op game, so everybody wins or everybody loses, and it's based in the world of um, H.P. Lovecraft, so the, the Cthulhu mythos and uh, the monsters that kind of surround his world, and um, I mean, I love the game, I love I love the, you know, the dice game, and, and, and I love the characters and the, the strategy that comes with it, and 
working together as a team can be a lot of fun because you're trying to, like, you know, I think we should defeat this guy first before we go here. Yeah. But it was definitely a different experience being the, uh, the guy at the table who knows what's going right, on. Right, the group leader. So, and, and it was nerve-wracking for a minute because it had been a little while since I played. And people were like, so when do we move the clock and when do we place a new monster? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, let me reference real quick because I don't want to say the wrong thing because that will make the game not as there, much fun. There are, there, it's not a heavy game by any sense of the word. But there is a lot to worry about because yes, every turn, the, every per- time the person rolls dice, the clock moves. Mm-hmm. If the clock hits midnight, there's a new mythos effect. And right, and then it's you know place a monster, and then you have to remember which room can I place this in. Right, and how and many times can I roll the dice before I have to take one away, and all this. When do I put doom tokens? And, and right, there's just a lot of pieces. But once you know it, you're fine. Yeah. And it, it, it's like many games of this style where you, there is a learning curve. But mm-hmm. once you get over the curve, it's fine. There's nothing There's nothing going on. Uh, I I have a lot... Like There are times when I really want to bring out games like Arkham Horror. Yeah. And uh, did, were you the one talking to me about uh, Mansions of Madness? Not Mansions... Well, I wasn't talking about Mansions of Madness. I had mentioned to you um, Betrayal, Betrayal at House on the Hill. Yes, which is another... Which is another game that I ordered that um, it's I'm not excited nec- to It's play. not necessarily Cthulhu Mythos, but it definitely has that... It has those elements of, you know, the haunted house and explorers. I think, explorers between... I think uh, the cool thing about Betrayal and House on the Hill, which is, I, I wish there was a shorter name for it because it's just really hard to say that over and over again. <laughs> but um, that game, the cool thing about it is, is that at some point, the entire game switches. Um, some people don't like that, but I think it's really kind of interesting because basically at the beginning, you're exploring the house. Right. All your people are kind of walking through the house and exploring and picking up equipment and and picking up stuff and dealing with the with the rooms that they're in. And at some point, based on a die roll, the house wins. The house takes over. Right. There's one there, and there's there's one player who's working with the house against the other players, and you don't know who that is. Yeah, I think the the, the, the game that I played, because I don't get to play this often, I, I don't own this game, but it was actually at the first game day that I got to play it. Um, I was playing, I forget what his name is, but he's just this big ox of a guy. Mm-hmm. So, like, mentally, I wasn't a super giant, but physically, I was ready to throw down. And... Uh, when when the game turned, the our story because there's there's a whole book that comes along with this, mm-hmm. and our story was was that one of the one of the characters that one of the girls we were playing with had, uh, she basically was revealed to be a ghost who had trapped us here because she had been haunting the house and was alone and she hated being alone. So she had convinced all the rest of the players to come to the house so she could kill us and have us be with her haunting the house. Well, that's, that is morbidly obese. <laughs> but uh, and it was really cool because basically water was rising and filling the house. and We had to find a boat hmm. and get out of the house before it sank. See, how, could the, how, how does this not sound like so much fun to play? So what was, what, were you, did you play that? I did not. I have actually never played it. Okay. But I've I've always loved the the concept of 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 horror and of haunted houses and ghosts and trying to escape and you know I love co op games so the just the idea and the theme intrigued me enough to be like I can't imagine this not being fun yeah with the right people so. At the very least, I knew I could play with you and a couple of our mutual friends. That like, I know at least I can get a group of four or five to really get into this game and enjoy it. And I think I think you nailed it right there. I think there are certain games, uh, like to kind of branch up. Mechanically, this is how this works for me. Um, there are certain games that need to be played with the right people. Absolutely. Um, I have often said, you know, you referenced Once Upon a Time. I have referenced that Once Upon a Time is one of my favorite games ever. The reason it's not automatically my favorite game is because if you're playing that with the wrong people... It's a nightmare. It is an awkward, painful mess. But if you're playing it with the right people, oh my goodness, it's the best 
thing ever. Absolutely, because it's you know because it's a storytelling game. You need people who are able to think quickly and be able to tell a compelling story. Because that's the most enjoyable part of the game. Is sometimes it's like, I could play this card right now, but your story's your really good. Your stories want to hear what happens. Yeah, and and yeah, I don't. I could tell stories about once upon a time experiences, but I've already done that on past episodes, and I don't want to go off on that tangent. What I what I do want to go in relation <clears throat> to betrayal. I'm just gonna call it betrayal now because th- those other words can fall away. Got it. Um, betrayal is it. Can, it gets dark. That it's, with some of the reviews I've read and you know talking to you a little bit about it, yeah, it, it definitely has some some there, darkness. Because like it. I after we got done, I kind of flipped through some of the possibilities. Like I didn't want to like ruin it, but like I said, I don't own the game, so it'll probably be a long time before I play again. Anyway, I flipped through some of those, mm-hmm. and it gets. Wow, wow, does it get dark in some of them. Yeah, there's... there's... So, especially for, for guys like us who are Christians and are not all the time, but on a, a good portion of time, the friends that we gather to play games are probably also going to be Christian. Yeah, I mean, I'd say I'd say a good a good percentage of them, if not most... You know, at the very least, a good percentage of them, or at the very least, it's people who are aware of our right, our beliefs and our faith. So, at the very least, they're they're knowledgeable. Yeah, and so there are a lot of people who would probably make an argument that this sort of stuff is something to avoid. Mm-hmm. Like pretty much the horror genre as a whole. There are a lot of people who will make the argument that that's something to avoid. I have had this uh, this discussion with people about horror, and you know, I I'm I'm a big fan of horror movies and horror stories. Even from a young age, I always loved stuff that was very kind of gothic and dark and macabre, and even 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 more whimsical stuff like uh, you know, like like a lot of uh, the stuff that Tim Burton does has a lot of whimsy to it. But well, I mean, all you have to also, all also have to, has some darkness to it. You, all you have to do is watch the Nightmare Before Christmas, which, for anybody who knows me, is my favorite movie of all time. Right, and for all intents and purposes, a very tame movie. But at the same point, there's some creepy stuff going Abs- on. Absolutely, there's definitely some creepy stuff, and especially when you realize that that movie was made for kids and produced right. by Disney, it's like. Yeah, you know that's that's a creepy movie to show people. If you if if for some reason you don't know this movie, but I'm pretty confident you do, seeing as you're listening to us. <laughs> um, but on the off chance that you don't know this movie, all you have to do is like go to your favorite music source website and find a little a little musical number called "Kidnap the Santa Claus." Mm, that's a good one. Uh, listen to that song alone. And then realize that that song is being sung by children in this world. Yeah. And then, yeah, you'll realize the, the, the level of creepy. Uh, making Christmas is another creepy making, one. Where they're, making They're Christmas inventing is... all the new presents. Yeah. That's, man, that's some weirdness. <laughs> but um, I, 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 definitely, I definitely have had discussions that not landing in my favor about, you know, how can you be a Christian? How can you say you go to church and believe in God and follow Christ? And yet, you know, you watch, you know, horror movies and you love monster movies and you read things like H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar Allan Poe. You know, how, how do those two worlds mix? And as much as I try and defend it a lot of times, it's just like, well, you know, you shouldn't let those things in your mind. You know, those are things, they're just a doorway to letting evil into your life. And I, I don't know if I necessarily agree. I would never say that somebody who felt that way was was not it wasn't a valid feeling for you personally but for you me, wouldn't you wouldn't be invited on here if you did because that's that's always our thing if it's something that takes you away from god it doesn't matter if we come on here and talk about the benefit of it if it takes you away from your own personal walk with god cut that away from you do not absolutely. participate absolutely so if that's something that that you know you look at and you say you know i just can't let that stuff into my life I support it, and if, you know, we were to meet, I would never bring it up. I would never invite you to anything that had to do with that. But for me, you know, it's it's never been a doorway for anything dark in my life because 
I serve a God who created the universe. I serve a God who is bigger than anything. What do I have to fear from it? Is is that's kind of the the point I've always had with it is like my God is bigger than that. I have nothing to fear. I know that that's not real. And even if some of the things that those things are based on is based in reality of of the spiritual realm and demons and darkness. Mm-hmm. I believe those things are real, but my God is bigger, and he's already won the fight. Right. So I have nothing to fear from it. So I I, I appreciate that, because, I mean, that was the, the very first time that you and I were on here. We kind of talked about the, the whole nature of the, the darkness that's out there and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I specifically want to talk about the Cthulhu mythos, because you and I are both... Old school Lovecraft fans. Yeah, I think I think as of right now, are you not borrowing my copy of Neil Gaiman's Fragile Things because of the? Actually, I I left it here, but I went out and bought a copy. Oh, did the, you the next week? I went out and bought that because yeah. because one of the the Fragile Things is a, a short story collect. It's an anthology, and one of them. Uh, if you've ever read deeply into Sherlock Holmes, which I'm a big fan of as well, right. The, one of the, the very first... I don't know if it's the first or one of the first. It's right near the beginning of it. Is the, the study in... Is this, I can't... I can, it, the never, study in Emerald. No, the is study that, in Emerald is the Gaiman. Right. Yeah, I'm talking about the the, the, the actual Sherlock Holmes Oh, the Sherlock Holmes is a study in Scarlet. Scarlet. That, I is, can, that is the first... I, never, I knew it was a study in and a word for red. I can never remember oh, which. Yeah, a study in Scarlet, <laughs> and that was the first book that was the story that was published right that was like the first sherlock holmes story so gaiman set set out to write a story what if sherlock holmes lived in a world neck deep in the cthulhu mythos it's an awesome story by the way uh i do not want to ruin that for you in case that that you're like us and, and like lovecrafty and stuff um, I'm a Neil Gaiman fanboy, so I don't even have to begin to explain <laughs> why he's awesome. But um, but study in Emerald, it has a huge twist, and you don't see it coming, and it's awesome, and it's well worth your time. So, Chris, I kind of want to get your opinion because I I have my own thoughts about it because I've had to defend this, and I think you have too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cthulhu, especially because Cthulhu is right up there with zombies. In the saturation of the marketplace. Absolutely. We're, there is... We were just talking about Smash Up. The next Smash Up expansion. It's all they... Cthulhu stuff. And not only is it all Cthulhu stuff. They call it the obligatory Cthulhu expansion. That's the name of it. The obligatory uh, Cthulhu it's, expansion. It's well, and, and uh, you know, I was sitting here and I just happened to have with me my... my um. Flux is another card game that has several versions of it, and that's got a Cthulhu version of that too. And it's my favorite one to play, but it's, uh, you know, Cthulhu has definitely it's, saturated the he's geek ever, market. Because the big the big news from Kickstarter lately was one of the Kickstarters was, uh, I forget what the exact title of it is, but the, the terror that stalked Atlantic City or something like The doom that, that it was basically a Kickstarter that, that the guy said, we can't do it. It canceled, but it's basically like Monopoly with the Cthulhu mythos. Like, ancient old ones are taking away parts of the city. Wow, that's kind of cool. I was thinking, you know, you get to buy things like Innsmouth and no, no, Dunwich. No. That, would be, that would be... Ulthar. I, that would just be a reskin of Monopoly. This is another game in and of itself. Uh, but there's cool. that... Like, every time I, I... I check Kickstarter quite a bit. And... Like, every time I go on there, there's, like, three new zombie games and, like, four new Cthulhu games. Like, why do you think the mythos is as popular as it is? I don't think it's always, it always has been. I think a lot of times these things go in, you know, cycles. And I think it's just Lovecraft's term, turn again. But I think that the popularity of zombies several years ago, having kind of picked up into being... This huge range of popularity. I think people were like, you know, zombies have been around for a long time. I mean, it was in the 1960s that um, George Romero released Night of the Living Dead. And and I will say this because I just read this not that long ago. I had forgotten about this, but I remembered it, remembered it when I was a kid. Do you know that Romero was not the first really popular, the pop culture zombie story? I did not. There was one before it, and you'll never guess where it happened. 
I'll tell you this. Uh, I just want to see if you'll get it. It's from a cartoon. A zombie story from a cartoon. And I'm, I'm promising you, think outside the box. Where do you think it would come from? Uh, maybe Disney? No. Here's where it came from. It was The first, as far as I know, recorded pop culture zombie story is from the Smurfs. Really? The Smurfs, both in the comic book and the cartoon, did a series called The Purple Smurfs. And the it, Purple Smurfs are supposed to be in the new Smurf movie, too, I think. The Purple Smurfs... All, they could only they could only like make some kind of guttural noise, and they like kind of hopped around, and the way that you became a purple it was from some plant which a lot of people say that if there was an actual zombie plague it would come from some kind of virus or fungal infection. Yeah, uh, it came from a plant. It infected one of the Smurfs. That Smurf bit another Smurf, and that Smurf that was bitten became a purple Smurf. Who huh. then bit more Smurfs? Who then bit more Smurfs? And so you have the zombie Smurf apocalypse. Yes. Wow. So the very first zombie story was the purple Smurfs. I I I didn't mean to cut you off, but wow, that was no, that was a fascinating piece of trivia that I just read recently that blew my mind. I'm gonna have to research this now. My whole <laughs> world has possibly changed. So yes, but, um, going back to the Cthulhu mythos. <laughs> right. So. You know, I think with the, you know, the popularity of that, I think people are looking to revamp other things. And, I mean, H.P. Lovecraft was writing in the 30s and 40s. And so, uh, you know, I think that, you know, geeks are looking to bring back stuff that that is maybe not, not as widely accepted. You know, there are people who are Lovecraftians who, you know, research and obsess over his books and stories. And, oh, yeah. But I think that uh, societies, that's one of those Lovecraftian societies where all they do is talk about Lovecraft and the deeper meanings behind it. But I think people wanted a new concept to work with and work in their games and maybe bring back the appreciation that people had. Because, I mean, Lovecraft is kind of like the godfather of horror. You know, he's one of the premier original horror writers. Back when I was working in a bookstore, we were always encouraged to make, you know, recommendations to people. And there were a certain... Everybody kind of had their section. And so I had kind of been considered the guy to hit up if you need recommendations for religious books, for fantasy, sci-fi, and horror. And there was one time where this kid, I think he, he must have been like 18 at the time. And he walks up to me, he goes, I want a good, scary story. And, and I could tell that this guy wasn't just, he, there was something, this guy wanted really, he wanted good horror. Mm-hmm. And so I walked up to him, I go, what do you mean? And like, are you looking for like jump scare scary? He goes, no, anybody can do that. I go, oh, okay. I like you. Do you would you be more interested in make you question the very nature of your sanity horror? And he goes, that sounds amazing. I go, let me bring you down this aisle. <laughs> let me bring you to a little tome called the Necronomicon. Oh, gosh. Necronomicon, Call of Cthulhu. Although I, I really like, um, I like that the, the uh, Innsmouth story is really good. Yes. And the Cats of Ulthar is really good. Yes. Um, yeah, I like I like the, the dream stories that are all set within the Dreamlands realm. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I, th- I think that that's, that's the main thing is that, you know, we want to introduce a new generation of people. You know, when we're, when horror movies, too, are a dime a dozen, and so rarely do they come out with one that's actually, like, well done and well thought out and has genuine intelligence behind it. You know, H.P. Lovecraft was a smart guy. Because so many of them anymore are the, that jump scare like it's not horror because and they're anybody cheap scares too. They're yeah, cheap. anybody with a central nervous system would jump at this. Absolutely, and we all have seen so many of those that we know what triggers them. That's why the original Halloween mm-hmm. was such a brilliant horror movie. Because yes, it was a slasher movie, and it did have a couple of jump scare moments. But the it was all the that was made on a budget of three hundred thousand dollars, which which nowadays, in nineteen seventy nine yeah. was not a lot of money to to use to make a movie, and you know now it's like that's on now, now it's a drop in the bucket. But 
you know, it was all the music, you know, that, that iconic music and, and the, the way it was filmed and the whole tone and atmosphere is what made it chilling. Because for the first half of the movie, he's just kind of appearing and disappearing. He's just kind of stalking and he's mm-hmm. just kind of there, then he's not there. And that's what made it really scary. Right. And so I think that we, we've lost a lot of that as far as horror movies are concerned. They're either so bad that it's laughable or it's just cheap. And it's like, all right, I mean, I jumped, but I'll, it's, it's forgettable. And, I, okay, before I go too much further into the mythos, because um, I, I have lots to say about it, but I do, for those of you who might not be, for those of you who, who've probably seen Cthulhu, a.k.a. the big green tentacle thing, and have no idea anything about it other than maybe knowing that the name Cthulhu is a thing. If you if you see names where there's no vowels in him, <laughs> um, the, the very 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 short thing about the 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 history of the Lovecraft universe and the ancient old ones and the nature of it. Basically, arguments could be made that there's some there's some kind of otherworldly being thing. Uh, there are people who will say that they're aliens, that they're demons, that they're something. But they're they're otherworldly, other dimensional something that is way beyond normal, average stuff. And they have always been here. They've always been like sleeping in the darkness waiting to arise again and they have their focus there's a bunch of them cthulhu is only the the most well known there's yoga yoga there's there's so many of them other one and they're all names with no vowels they're all they're all names with lots of continents and lots of t's and h's and yeah um but anyway they're these ancient old ones that have been around forever they all focus to some wet some realm or another on madness. Mm-hmm. Madness and just absolutely driving the world crazy before it rips them apart. That's the, the world that we're dealing with here. Mm-hmm. And I have always found, especially Lovecraft's writing style, because you'd think when that is what you're dealing with, when if, if you need the image... Just go on like Google Image or something and look up Cthulhu. And when you see this horrible thing, you'd think, oh my goodness, I would have him tearing up buildings and slaughtering towns. Lovecraft never did any of that with Cthulhu. There was not ever there was almost never gore involved in It was that. always like he is the definer of the phrase, I stared into the abyss and the abyss stared back. Hmm. He is the one who pretty much made the darkness scary because that's where his stuff lived. It was the unknown. And if you read a lot of Lovecraftian horror, he does not spend a lot of time telling you what the horror looks like. No, because it's just a fact that there's horror and it's the madness that... And and a lot of a lot of Lovecraftian writing, he does what most people will say never do. A lot of his writing is in the first person. Mm-hmm. It's somebody recounting their experiences with Cthulhu or one of the other ancient old ones or the cultists that surround them. And more often than not, the the person that that Lovecraft is describing puts down, "I have no words to describe the pure evil." And the pure terror that was staring and staring back at me. Yeah, and and I love that because he he makes you think about the fact that that's there, but that 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 for me is just writing style. This is this is what I kind of I kind of want to get your thoughts on this as we as we head into the the whole aspect of how we do this as Christians, mm-hmm. because for me. I've always I've always dealt with horror. Like, I'm a ghost chaser. I I go looking for local legends. Yeah. I I go hunting for ghost stories. This stuff has always fascinated me. And for me, the the place of horror is that understanding that there is stuff 
outside of the known. And I don't want to I don't want to be that guy who then makes the the God of the Gaps argument because the the God of the Gaps argument basically says God is in those places that are unknown. And I hate that argument because then we start knowing it and then people are like, "Well, I guess God's not there." And it's a it's a stupid understanding of God. But it, mm-hmm. at the very least, I almost take it like like Tolkien, like Lewis, like Chesterton, like all these guys who loved God and spent so much of their focus on on writing and living in a world of fairy tales while they love Jesus. The reason being, I think, I can't cite an exact quote, but Tolkien's basic understanding is their ability to understand that these things could be there. Not even the fact that they are there, the fact that they could be there makes you realize that there is something beyond our reality. And by taking that step, it becomes easier for me to meet God. Absolutely. I, I mean, and I think that's an important thing to understand. And I think another important thing to understand about, you know, a lot of those stories in particular is that there are such great metaphors for good versus evil, mm-hmm. for, you know, power and, 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 you know, being there's something greater than yourself. You know, I think, you know, one of, one of my favorite quotes is from G.K. Chesterton when he says, um, fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us dragons exist, but, but because, because they, they tell can us be dragons can be beaten. It's like, that's such a powerful metaphor, especially if you read Revelation and mm. the devil is described as the great serpent. Well, mm. dragon is the great serpent. So when you hear stories of dra- great dragons being defeated... Mm-hmm. You know, when you read Harry Potter or the um, um, or the Hobbit, and you hear these stories of these great vicious dragons being defeated by someone so unlikely, that it has such a a, a biblical element to it. Of we have the power to do that. We have the power to to defeat the dragon, right? Because we have nothing to fear from him. And and I think that's that's a big point. Because there are people who will say that, you know, in some of these stories, the horror wins. Mm-hmm. Where the, the main protagonist is left broken and gibbering in an insane asylum. And so, like, how can you, how can you say that this is some great metaphor for the story of good versus evil when evil wins? And there's lots of ways for me to do this. Because, mm-hmm. because there is the argument of these people are trying to defeat the great and powerful evil alone by themselves and of their own strength. Absolutely. And that's never going to work. That was the exact point I was going to make too, is that it's God's power within us that gives us the ability to face those fears. Right. Face them on our own. We will go mad. Right. You know, it's, it's completely daft to think that we can handle that kind of evil on on our own steam. Right. It's never going to happen. Well, and that that happens a lot because people will will bring up and I'm sure I'm sure there are people listening right now who will say that that the Cthulhu mythos and horror stories and tales of of demons and whatever, it's trivializing Satan and it's trivializing the fact that there are real demons and real spiritual warfare and stuff like that. I don't think it trivializes them at all. No. And if you read a Cthulhu mythos story and then think that that trivializes evil, you're reading it wrong. Oh, absolutely. But here's the other side of that coin. While it doesn't trivialize it, we have God. And I'm sorry, if if you put God, even if Cthulhu was a real thing, which, by the way, it isn't. As a, as a disclaimer for anybody who's... Freaking out, wondering yeah. if there's giant squid monsters that people worship. There's there's really not. I have no idea how to pronounce it correctly. I've never been able to pronounce it correctly. Rathlia is not a real place. <laughs> Cthulhu is not a real thing. But even if it was, he has nothing on the god of creation. He, ha- he would have nothing against the savior of the world. And you know, you know, Chris, a lot of times you, you end up doing worship both with the youth group and on Sunday mornings. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's this common worship song that's going on right now. You know, there's lots of stuff that like, uh, 
the when you know the god of angel armies is oh, on my side. And I, I love that the... line. You know, the god of angel armies. If Cthulhu was real, how much power do you think is he gonna have against the general who commands tens of thousands of angels? Zero. 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 And so you know it. it for... Plus the idea that you know. You look at you look at the 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 creatures in the Lovecraftian mythos. Mm-hmm. They all, they you know they all thrive in darkness. Everything mm-hmm. is taking place under the cover of darkness. They are darkness. Where there is light, perfect light casts out all darkness. Any amount of light, mm-hmm. it's no longer dark because right. there is light. And when we serve the God who created light the god who is the light of the world i i i, I mean that uh, that just kind of <laughs> explains it just saying that it's like we they can't win there is no way they can possibly win yeah and and for me for me that's the rub when it comes to horror when it comes to these stories i i embrace the the environment mm-hmm. i embrace the a truly good horror anyway. I'm not just there's a lot of things that will be published out there and in games and books and movies that falls under horror that I'm just like it's just I, bad really. It's just if not If you want if you want to talk video games, I hate the Resident Evil games. They're not horror, not anymore anyway. They're not great movies either. They're horrible movies. Um like I but w- when my gaming I I love Arkham Horror. I love Elder Slime, even though it's just more of a theme with Elder Slime. It's not, it's not so much as a gameplay. Mm-hmm. Um, the guys who did Arkham Horror are coming up with a new game called Eldritch Horror, which literally goes across the entire world. And I'm like, oh, man. You know, I'm, they say that they're, they, they're bringing a demo copy to Gen Con, and if they do, I want to play it. It's like Pandemic with Cthulhu. With Cthulhu. I, I appreciate that. I love that the the way he tells a story and the the otherworldliness heck that's so much of why I like Gaiman is because he makes this he takes the normal world and then takes a step to the left or a step to the right mm-hmm. and says what if the normal world was not normal and that makes for such compelling storytelling and it makes them brilliant writers yeah and and the characters that you get in these stories are fantastic but I the reason I can enjoy that and the reason I can appreciate that is because while I have respect for, for spiritual warfare, I understand that the devil is not somebody who is just not to be bothered with. I understand that, you know, there's so much of scripture that talk like, uh, what is it? The, the devil is a, a wolf at your door. Mm-hmm. Like, like this imagery of, of who he is. He's not, a weak little thing, but at the same point, we serve a God who is so much bigger. Right, there's a difference between ignorance and fear. Right. To to pretend like he doesn't exist would be stupid. It would be foolish to think that he is not powerful. But, again, when you serve the God who is so much greater, what have you to fear? Yeah, I. so when I, I read H.P. Lovecraft and I... I, I talk about Cthulhu and, and the mythos and... And it's a thrilling. You know, I, I love the thrill of it and, and the, you know, seeing how these characters respond when there's... You know, that when they live... He writes in a universe that has no hope. Oh, yeah. H.P. Uh, Lovecraft, do not read him for hope because he was a staunch atheist. And really, you can tell in his writing that not only did he not believe in God... He was a man who did not really have any hope for the world. Yeah. And see, that that's the thing. I, I think that as Christians, we have the ability to, to step into that. To step into the horror story and understand that there is hope. Mm-hmm. I'm probably gonna I'm probably gonna put a link to this when I actually end up posting this episode. There's a magazine it, it's well it's a magazine it's an, an e-zine or whatever they call them these days that's on the internet <laughs> huh. um that collects stories that are are they they're not christian fiction but they have that christian bent 
And it's a lot of genres that you wouldn't think of. Like, they were asking for noir stories. Hmm. They were asking for... Uh, and one of the things that one of the things they said, and I really wish I had the time to write this right now, but I don't. I'm already behind on what I am supposed to be writing. Hmm. Um, one of the to- the topics was Jesus versus Cthulhu. I I had talked to you about that either the call of Christ versus the call right. of Cthulhu. And and on the little thing that they were posting for for new, for new submissions, uh, on it for the Jesus versus Cthulhu, and they said, listen. Take this seriously. You have to know Lovecraft for us to take for for us to seriously consider your piece. Mm-hmm. Like we're not just looking for Jesus stomps Cthulhu. We all know that's true. We want a compelling story in the Cthulhu mythos as a people of faith. And I'm like, dang it! I want to write that story. <laughs> I want to be the guy who writes that story. But I just don't have the time. Maybe somebody out there is listening and, and wants to write that. I I would love to read it. Please do. I don't. Um, I will also read it because I think that that is a really solid way that Christians can interact with horror because we have hope. There there might be scary things. There might be terrifying things. There might be things that seem so dark and so evil that in the face of it we have nothing to do but sit and cower. But when we realize that the God of all creation fights with us. Whose name even demons tremble at. You know, not to bring in the David and Goliath thing, but because that's always the, the, the go-to story. But there's a reason why David ran into battle with a dude who was like nine foot tall and had a spear that was three times the size of David. And... It, there's a reason he ran into that battle with nothing but a couple rocks. And it's because he knew that God fought for him. And really, what is Cthulhu and the, the mythos and zombies and ghosts and all this stuff? What is it compared to Christ? Nothing. nothing. And, and I think that, that as men and women of faith... We have the ability to step into that story and bring hope. Kind of the most recent, what I think is a truly great horror movie that you and I both saw at separate occasions is Cabin in the Woods. Oh, so good. If you love horror and and that idea and you love uh, Joss Whedon, go rent that and see it. That one I will say, there is gore in it. Yes. But it's not jump scare gore. It's legit. And... But I'll tell you, the way that movie ends, I did not see it going down that way. But that movie ends, and there's no hope. And you'd think, oh my goodness, that's so ridiculous. I can't believe they ended it that way. But I look at it and go, no, that's a compelling story. That's a story that I follow up, and I say, man, I'm glad life isn't actually like that. Yeah. Man, I'm glad that, that this is not what reality is. And I'm not, you know, I can kind of think that about about any, you know, any of the horror stories or horror movies that that I enjoy. You know, it's like I am so glad that that that's not the way real life is. But even if it were, my God's bigger than that. Yeah. You know, my my God is already one. He's already one. What have I to fear? You know, I was I was telling you earlier. I did a um. I did a Bible study about fear, and I, I used um, film clips from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm-hmm. And to me, as far as that genre of horror movies from the 80s and 90s, Freddy Krueger is easily the most terrifying because he's in your dreams. He's not tangible to fight or to kill, so you can't stop him. Because right. even if you fight him in your dreams, you know, eventually you stay awake. You don't know when you're sleeping and when you're awake. And concepts like that can be real. There are demons that I'm sure have that ability. But when you follow... Well, cro- I, I will tell you, like, part of the reason why Cthulhu is not okay in my house, why Elder Sign is a game that I can't even play, even though it it's, it's basically the only... The theme of it is, like, plastered on. It's like Yahtzee with Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. I mean, the reason that can't exist, and the reason I can't do things like when we play Victoriana, I can't, we, I can't put demons in that game, right. is because not only 
is my wife not okay with it? My wife deals with being bipolar and she's let me, me share that. And most of the time it's fine, but every once in a while her chemistry isn't firing right. And in those moments, she has a really hard time distinguishing truth from fiction. Mm -hmm. And so if you fill her head with stories of, kinds of worlds, right. And so we've had really like hardcore uh, conversations where I come to her and say, these things aren't real. And she comes back to me and says, there are times when I can't know that. Mm -hmm. And so I fully acknowledge the fact that, that I'm sure Satan's sitting there going, just, just put it in her head and I'm going to exploit the crap out of it. And that's, that's, that's the fear that comes with, that's a possibility with opening yourself up to this. And like we said in the beginning, if that is something that you struggle with, if that is something that it's like, you know, my mind can't take that kind of stuff. I can't open myself up to those kinds of stories, those kinds of characters in that world. You, We have the utmost respect for that. There's a reason why I don't have Arkham Horror. I don't have Eldritch Horror. I don't have all these things. I don't have, like, an H.P. Lovecraft audiobook. If I'm reading Lovecraft, it's probably because my wife isn't there. But, you know, there's a reason why that stuff has been cut out of my house. It's not because... I have a problem with it or I don't think that I just got done spending the past hour explaining that I think that there's those stories are really well written and can have value. It's the fact that I, I love my wife and do not want to see my job as her husband is to draw her closer to God, not put her in situations where she is being dragged from him. And so definitely it, take everything we have under the, the auspices of, of that notion always do what is best for your relationship with God. Mm -hmm. We read these stories and think, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that my God is bigger than this. Yes. And it brings us closer to God. But at the same point, do not go, do not go gentle into that good night if that night is the source of madness and insanity. <laughs> for you. Right. You Don't know. do that. Tread, tread with caution when you when you allow yourself into these worlds but they you know in a sense I, I will I will promote them because I do think they're compelling stories and I think in a lot of ways they do bring me closer to God plus I love the thrill of them and if you do have a hard time reading there are um, Lovecraft audiobooks and audio dramas which are excellently crafted. they're really they're really well done. really really well done so uh, yeah that being said guys, uh, continue to go out and play great games. To, uh, check out things like Arkham Horror. Check out Elder Sign. You'll never have more fun than when you're playing Elder Sign or Arkham Horror or any of these co cooperative games. And Betrayal at House on the Hill. I want to say the full name one more time. <laughs> <laughs> when you're playing these games and you win, when people are standing up at the table and shouting, we have put down, we've collected the Elder Signs, we've put down the horror at Innsmouth, and when you're calm, you can say things like, hey, who was worried? Who was worried? Who was worried? Uh, but, yeah, definitely check these out if you can. Uh, run from them if you can't. Always do everything in community because that's, that's where you find out how God can work uh, in your life by, by running these things through community. That being said, feel free to hang out with us. Hang out with us on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash GameStoreProfits. Uh, definitely check out our website, GameStoreProfits.com. Find us on iTunes and Stitcher. Give us reviews and, and stars, mostly because we just want other people to be able to find us. And on those things, if you get a lot of reviews and a lot of stars, it you, you bump up higher on the list. Quite frankly, we love you guys. We love what you put on our Facebook page. We love the comments that we get and the emails that we get. We're not in it for the stars and the glory, but we just want to be able to have more people find us. So if you have a second and you like what we do, hop over, give us a review, give us some five stars, and uh, tell people that you like what we're doing. That being said, uh, definitely check out some of the, check out the Facebook page because. It's quite possible that by the time this airs, I, I don't want to say it right now in case I don't get it done in time, but if I get enough content that's worth it, um, I'm going to be posting things like I'm hopefully going to get a video from me at Gen Con. Um, I'm hopefully going to have some of the... 
I'm hopefully going to have some of the videos that I have in my head actually made into videos. Um, and once the YouTube channel goes live, even though our main site will not have gone live yet, once our YouTube channel goes live, we'll be able to tell you the name of Project Awesome so I can stop calling it Project Awesome and start using the actual name for our new ministry. Which, by the way, I know the name, and it's so cool! <laughs> I love saying the name. So, uh, definitely be checking out the Facebook page, because if it hasn't happened by the time you're listening to this, it will happen shortly. Again, guys, hope to see you next time. When you find yourself fighting against the devil or the Dunwich Horror, always remember that God is the Game Master, and no matter how the dice falls, the game plays on.